The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. The investigation into Gurley Chu's disappearance would take police into a twisted world of aliens, reptilians, and cannibalism. I'm Vinnie Politan, and this week's Court TV podcast follows this bizarre trail of evidence with an audio edition of our original series, Someone They Knew, with Tamron Hall, which examines crimes committed by those closest to the victim. This episode is entitled The Alien Queen. Have a listen. This is the Court TV Podcast. This was one of the worst homicides in the history of New Mexico. I don't know any other case where alien warrior queens play a role. The facts is there are markers and cryostasis tubes at the end of my street. I've never been in a room with someone that I felt was truly evil. Hopefully, she suffered the most excruciating pain known to mankind. I think every person, including everyone here, is capable, under the right conditions, of murder. It's the fall of 1999. The world is readying for a new century full of promise. And in Albuquerque, New Mexico, people have been drawn to this wide-open city that embraces all kinds of beliefs, no matter how outside the mainstream. Yet for one woman who recently arrived, the city would prove to be unwelcoming and deadly. The thing I've always loved about Albuquerque and New Mexico in general is its embrace of all kinds of thoughts. People that embrace different religions and different cultures. And New Mexico is big enough for all of those people. You have a lot of people that believe that aliens crash landed in Roswell. So there's a lot of conspiracy theorists. Lots of people will humor conspiracy theories, kind of, oh yeah, sure, maybe that's possible, or maybe there's aliens, you know? So people can kind of engage in that sort of fun thought. We have the big open blue skies that people swear at night you can see unidentified flying objects. But even so, I don't know that anyone thought that outer space would contribute to the death and disappearance of a young woman here in Albuquerque. Girlie Chu Hassenkoft has disappeared. On September 10th of 1999, she didn't show up for work. Her co-workers became very concerned. So they called the police immediately, and police officers responded to Gurley's apartment. When they went in there, they looked at a carpet, they ran luminal tests on it, and they determined that it was human blood but they didn't find the body there. If she wasn't killed, she was badly, badly wounded. Shortly thereafter, they find her wallet in the streets. Then they find bloody clothing, a tarp with blood and some duct tape with long strands of dark hair, which end up matching girlies. But these items are found 
hundreds of miles away, a deserted, lonely highway near Magdalena, New Mexico. A highway worker is driving by and he sees these items. And instead of just throwing them in the back of his truck and throwing them in the trash, he actually calls state police and notifies them that he's found some bloody clothes and maybe they ought to look into this. How did Gurley get from where she was in her apartment and how did she end up out in the desert? And the only thing that leads you to the desert is the tarp and the clothes of girlies that were found way out of town. They start to realize that this is probably not just an abduction. This is probably a murder case. Detectives don't know where she was killed. What happened with this woman? Gurley was a bank teller at the Bank of America here in Albuquerque. Gurley Chu, she's from Malaysia. She'd been married to Dyson Hassenkoft in the early 90s. Number one, we think Dyson Hassenkoft, what kind of name is that, I wonder? It made him sound somewhat exotic. The more we learn about Dyson Hassenkoft, the more we think this can't be real, you know? And it turns out it's not real. That's a made up name. His name was Armand Chavez, and he was born in Houston, Texas. He changed his name after he was pushed out of medical school because they found out that he had doctored a lot of his documentation to get into school. There's nothing real about him. He's not some handsome, smooth, sensual guy. He's a little tiny five foot four man, but somehow he's been able to fool women that he's things he's not. Her coworkers said that she told them, if something happens to me, if I don't show up for work, it's Dyson. Call police. Individuals with delusional disorder actually seem normal for the most part until you start talking about the thing that they're delusional about. Who owns this planet? Well, you're gonna find out real soon. Gurley Chu is building a new life after fleeing her abusive and unfaithful husband. But he has other plans for her. Dyson Hassenkopf is carefully spinning a grisly web that will soon catch her inside of it. And it was pure evil. Dyson Hassenkopf was a con artist. He had women that he was selling youth serum to, giving him B12 shots. And he was making hundreds of thousands of dollars on these people. His secret was to find that weak spot in a woman. If he knew you believed in something, he would become that something. And that's quite a skill, a, a dangerous skill. For a while, he said he was a med school student. He's a 2,000-year-old person who knows the magic elixir of youth. He's someone from outer space. They get more outrageous as you go. He was a womanizer. He also had an affair with a Japanese woman who was from Canada, and she had a baby, a male baby. He brings the baby home, and he tells Groly that he had taken cells from her and created this baby in a Petri dish. I'm not sure she believed that, but what I do know is that 
she fell in love with this little child and she became basically his mother became very attached to this child very protective of this child because Dyson was very abusive to this child that's what starts the end of their relationship Dyson on one occasion choked her and threatened to kill her she moved out of the house and left him. They're getting a divorce, so she gets half the property. And he doesn't have a lot of money anymore, so that hurts him financially. He doesn't like when he loses his grip on one of the women he's fooled. Gurley showed Moxie. She stood up to him, and she said, I'm not going to take this anymore, and I'm leaving. And that's when he decides he's going to plot to kill her. Then we hear about Linda Henning. Linda Henning grew up in Hollywood, California. When she was 11 years old, the father abandoned the home. And she was left with a male void, if you will. My good friend, Steve Zachary, had known Linda Henning when he had lived back in California and had dated her. She was a pacifist, didn't curse, didn't swear, didn't drink. She did have an interest in UFOs. She meets this Diazan Hassenkoft at a UFO convention. A guy would lecture about lizard people and how people in government were actually shape-shifting alien reptilian creatures. Diazan introduces himself as a doctor ex-CIA. So all of a sudden, Linda is totally impressed. Dyson is a, he's brilliant, he's charming. Dyson is a maniac. <laughs> I mean, he's a maniac. There's, there's a, you know, there's a light side to him and there's a dark side to Dyson. Steve Zachary asked me to look into him and see what I could find. It didn't take more than an hour to find out. Dyson Hassenkopf is a fraud. Steve now called Linda and said, you got a problem here. And that is when he got both barrels from Linda. She turned on him in a heartbeat. She's totally off her rocker. She seemed to be a fairly normal person, able to have a job, relate to people. But when he came along, things changed. Mostly what changed is she started doing whatever he wanted her to do. Within a week, Linda had gone from this nice person to go and talk to, to she's sending a fax that was dated August 6th of 99. The cover of the fax says there are markers and cryostasis tubes at the end of my street save yourself the reptile aliens are coming now this is a week after she meets this person individuals with delusional disorder actually seem normal for the most part until you start talking about the thing that they're delusional about i believe that there is an incredibly strong alien presence on this planet and i believe that they are involved in the united states government i believe that they have an agenda of genocide of eradicating the human presence on this planet. Extreme fixed beliefs is when conspiracy theories become very 
fixed in our mind. It's not so much just a, oh yeah, that's possible. It becomes a, this is definitely happening. Who owns this planet? Well, I'm gonna tell you that humanity does not. These creatures have been here way before mankind was ever thought of. Who owns this planet? Well, you're gonna find out real soon. Diazan told her that she was the queen of the world, that she had to go to war eventually with these reptilian alien queens, and she basically falls for it. Linda believes that the fate of the universe rests on her and she must vanquish Gurley, this small bank teller who is actually an alien warrior queen. When they set the plan in motion to kill Gurley, they also contracted a man by the name of Bill Miller. And I believe that Bill Miller was actually involved. How did he react if I told you that within the last month he smashed out his wife's windshield of a car? How would you believe that? You wouldn't believe it? No, I've never heard a foul word that gets now. Dyson Hasenkopf has come into Linda Henning's world at a moment that seems to be fortuitous for them both. But nothing is as it appears to be as he becomes more focused on Henning, on her friend Bill Miller, and on his next deadly con. Dyson was a manipulator, so he didn't want to get his hands dirty. And that's where Linda and Bill come into play. Bill Miller is your average, everyday electrician, hunter, fisherman guy. He's interested in UFOs, and that's how he meets Linda Henning. Bill Miller always comes off as sort of this lovesick dupe who just is in love with Linda and would do anything she asks of him. Bill Miller had been seen meeting with Diazen and Linda. Bill was conducting surveillance of Groly on September 9th of 1999. Groly Chu got out of work, and that was about 5.15 in the afternoon. Hassan coughed, and his minions followed Groly home. Linda knocks on the door. Apparently, they gain entry, and something goes wrong. Between about 5.45 and that next morning, she's somehow removed from her apartment. Dyson shows up, presumably to be the cleanup guy, to make sure that all the evidence is wiped clean. Apparently, she fought back, and I think they didn't expect that. And now he had to try and clean up their mess. A neighbor of Dyson Hasenkoff's remembers seeing Dyson just screeching up the street, pulling into the driveway in Linda Henning's Honda. And he runs into the house, and then he runs back out, and then he races away. His idea is to take a vial of blood. For some reason, he's got vials of blood in his refrigerator, and he is going to spatter some blood around to mix it up so that it confuses the DNA, and they'll never figure out whose blood that was. He also brings some bleach, and he thinks that will also alter the DNA. Curiously, the only other vial of blood he happens to have on him, he says, is Linda Henning's blood. I don't know why he collected blood from people. 
I have no idea. I didn't question it. It was really none of my business. He's the cleanup guy, supposedly. He doesn't want to be the guy that does the dirty work necessarily with abducting her. That's what he says he has Bill Miller for. Bill Miller's a hunter, yes. Bill Miller kills animals, yes. He dismembers animals, yes. He's obsessed over weapons and knives, yes. Did he kill her? I don't know. The body was never found. Whatever did become of her body and her had to be horrifying. What happened? What did they do to her? The homicide investigators immediately started to look at Diazin because Groly was telling everybody that she was afraid of him, that she felt he was going to kill her. Police are going to arrest Diazin Hasenkoff. They need to go find him first. The night of Gurley's murder, he's already got the next fiance on the hook and he's planning on driving back with her to South Carolina and start this entirely new life, which he does. He heads off. He's making all these phone calls, and they're able to track him. So he's the first one arrested. Dyson thought that he could fool the detectives, just as he had fooled everybody else. But they already have enough, and they're looking at Linda. They're aware that Linda had become a pretty good friend or more of Dyson, they know there's a Honda involved. And so when the, the police get a search warrant for that, they find little bits of glitter and some art sand and pink hair and cat hair. And curiously, some of those items were also found on the bloody tarp. Some of those items were found in Gurley's apartment. So now they're starting to find a connection here between Linda Henning the apartment that Gurley was in, the bloody tarp, and the trunk of her car. So now they need to figure out what her role in this all is. Did you wash your car yourself? Um, most of the time I wash it myself and I try to keep the car clean. When was the last time you cleaned it? Um, let's see, I probably cleaned the car um, Saturday. She gives a good interview with the police seems very forthcoming, doesn't seem nervous or upset, very chatty, but police aren't so sure of her story. How often did he talk about his wife? And, and when he did talk about her, how did he talk about her? He said, well, um, they lived separate lives. Um, he said they, they lived as man and wife for about 30 days, and she moved out of his bedroom. How would you react if I told you that Within the last month, he smashed out his wife's windshield of, the, of her car. I wouldn't believe that. You wouldn't believe that? No, I've never heard a foul word of that man's mouth. He never raised his voice. He was always a gentleman. The police are doing search warrants on her house. They find a ninja sword in her garage. They find more of that art sand and the glitter and that she's got cats. And remember, cat hairs played a role in the forensic evidence. But she insists that she has nothing to do with any of this. They arrested Linda around the same time that they arrested Diazen. Bill Miller comes in third. His name is mentioned by Linda. And so they go and question him. He admits the night of Gurley's disappearance that he has seen 
with Linda and Dyson. They ask to look around his place, and that's where they see the pink deer hair that he uses for fly fishing lures that he makes himself. So once again, little tiny pieces of forensic evidence are now starting to tie these three together. I think Dyson basically took control of Linda, told her that she would be in charge of somehow killing Gurley. He gave her that sword, which I think was probably involved in the killing. And according to Dyson, Miller was the one who actually committed the murder. When they bring in Miller for interrogation, they put him in a room and there's cameras there. Bill feels like the only evidence he has are some business cards, and he decides to eat them, but they catch that. So that's evidence tampering. They bring the case before the grand jury, and they get only the evidence tampering. That's why Bill gets a slap on the wrist, basically. Diazen was looking at the death penalty, so he pled guilty as long as the government would not seek the death penalty. I think just tying her to him after he admitted to the charge and her being his close ally here, and then, of course, there was all kinds of physical evidence, and it was pretty persuasive when taken as a whole. It was a perfect storm because you have essentially an intelligent woman who has a delusional disorder. Her version of a events is not reality-based, and so she's going to make decisions in her case based on information that is not real. She's going to decide to go to trial and not take a plea because she is adamant that she's going to win because she has done nothing wrong. She had a mental health issue, but I don't think it made her incompetent to stand trial, because there are a lot of people that have crazy beliefs, but that doesn't make them incompetent, nor excuse them for criminal act. Please rise. Court is in session. Why doesn't she cop a plea? Well, this is America, and I'm entitled to a trial. Bill Miller's case is closed with only an evidence-tampering conviction. Linda Henning refuses a plea bargain and insists on her day in court, but won't take the stand in her own defense. As part of his plea deal to save himself, Dyson Hassenkopf must testify at her murder trial. Will the truth finally be told? I'm not going to cooperate, by the way. I will be totally uncooperative. I don't care. Give me 100 years. I don't care. Please rise. Court is in session. She said, I'm not guilty of anything. How can I go and plead guilty to something I didn't do? I just didn't do it. I wasn't involved. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You can be seated. Linda Henning's trial was pretty well attended. In this case, there was pretty much no one there for Linda, but that didn't mean that the courtroom was empty. Gurley's family was from Malaysia, but they showed up for the trial and were in the courtroom every day. This is a criminal case commenced by the state of New Mexico against the defendant, Linda Henning. Ms. Henning has been charged with several counts. She's been charged with first-degree murder, secondly, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, third, kidnapping, fourth, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, and then four counts of perjury. She's pleaded not guilty to each count, and at this time, we'll have the opening statements. Mr. Spears. It was a Thursday, September 9th, 1999. At about 7 o'clock in the evening, 
A knock came to her front door. And Girly Chu Hassenkoft opened that door. And when she opened that door, she let death in. This case was about a missing person. And then, over time, small things connecting to other small things, it became a case of murder. She met a man and married Diazen Hassenkoft. She did not know that a woman would come into her bank and transact business to her. She did not know that same woman who transacted with her would be kidnapping her and would be killing her. The prosecution team had a strong circumstantial case. Of course, they already had Diazen, who was very closely tied to her. The strategy for the state was just to present this overwhelming physical evidence. After you have done your work in the jury room, let your collective hand take your collective pen and with the ink from that pen, mark the verdict forms guilty for what this defendant did to Gurley. Thank you very much. The defense had a much harder case because there was significant evidence a co-defendant had already pled. She was very close to the co-defendant. So I think what they were trying to do is little by little discredit evidence, point out inconsistencies. But the problem was looking at everything as a whole and to make all those things true that they were suggesting would be almost impossible. Diaz and Hassenkopf tells us, first, Linda Henning had nothing to do with Gurley Hassenkopf and her disappearance and or death. Second, the very evidence that the state relies upon to say that she had to be part of this, he planted. And that the real people in this case that were involved in the disappearance of Curly Hassenkopf were none other than he and Bill Miller and whomever Bill Miller associated with on that night, which certainly wasn't Linda Henning. Just exactly what happened in that house? None of us know. The state doesn't know who went there. We don't know whether she was killed there or injured there. There are a lot of things we simply do not know. Linda had nothing to do with this. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Part of the trial centered on trying to prove to the jury that Gurley Chu Hasenkoft was indeed dead. And the way they did that was interviewing her co-workers. If you raise your right hand, do you swear the testimony you're about to give is the truth under the penalty of perjury? Please be seated. Did a time come when Gurley Hasenkoff and Dizon Hasenkoff split up? Yes, in February of 1999. And in context, that would be approximately eight or nine months before Gurley Hasenkoff disappeared? Yes. What was the, the reason that they split up? Gurley had left Dyson Hasenkoff due to domestic violence. Did she tell you anything specific as to what her concerns were at that time? That he was going to kill her. I want to now turn your attention to the following morning, September 10th, 1999. Uh, did you work that day? Yes. And what time did you arrive? I got to work about 10 to 8. Was Gurley there when you arrived? No. Did concern begin to mount as to the whereabouts of Gurley Hasenkoft? Yes. Why was it that you became so concerned so quickly? 
Because Gurley was never late. Did you take any action at that point? I called the police right away and told them that I had a staff member that hadn't showed up for work and I was very concerned and that I needed someone to go to her apartment. And the state can call its next witness. Your Honor, the state would call Detective Mike Fox, please. When I first entered the apartment, the first thing I noticed was the door frame showed that there had no, been, no visible signs of forced entry. To my right, I located three very obvious stains. I noticed a odor of bleach. Detective Gonzalez and Gunther tested the stains for blood. If the stains lit up, then that was a positive test for blood. And it was a very bright reaction to the test. The defense calls the Yazin Hasenkopf. I just got the feeling that here is somebody who is really evil. It was a flawless plan. I mean, actually, if it wasn't flawless, you would have solved the murder by now. The state has meticulously argued its case, connecting defendant Linda Henning to the murder of Gurley Chu. But in an odd twist, the Linda Henning defense must rely on the truly bizarre testimony of now-convicted killer Dyson Hassenkopf. Undoubtedly, the biggest moment in Linda Henning's trial was when Dyson Hassenkopf took the stand. The defense calls Dyson Hassenkopf. When Diazen testified, all eyes were on him, and he was prepared to make an entrance, which he did. It was one of the weirdest entrances a person I'd ever seen make coming into the courtroom. He was just looking at people here and there, not in a friendly manner, and just sort of a creepy manner. Did you raise your right hand first? Do you swear a testimony about to give us the truth under the penalty of birth? Please be seated. I just got the feeling that here is somebody who is really evil. Would you kind of tell, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, your name? Dyson Hosenkopf. I've never been in a room with someone that I felt was truly evil, and that's the impression I get from that man, that he actually is an evil person. And I've never experienced that before. I hope I never have to again. It was a flawless plan. I mean, actually, if it wasn't flawless, you would have solved the murder by now. Three years down the line, you still don't know what happened. He talked so, in a way. It was almost like some evil cartoon character. When you decide you're going to commit murder, you decide that you're going to trade your life for theirs. I did that. Part of it, I think, was an act, but he was also a pretty despicable human being. The plan was that she would be murdered, that she would be abducted. Hopefully, she suffered the most excruciating pain known to mankind, was what I Part was of that may have been an act, because they adjust to whatever environment they're in and make you believe whatever you want them to believe. I think what he was doing there is trying to get Henning off and acting as evil as he could, although in ways you could tell it probably wasn't all that hard of an act for him, because he appeared to be a real evil person. He orchestrated this totally unnecessary killing of this woman because she didn't do what he wanted. That she is dead, that she is killed, that she might be murdered, so what? I mean, who cares? I don't. 
to this day I have no remorse, no pity, no sorrow. I wanted to make sure that her parents knew and cried over a thousand years over an empty grave. That's what I wanted. He's just cruel. There's only one word to describe him. He's cruel. And uh, he just like, don't, don't have conscience at all what he has done and he don't feel any remorse towards what his, his section in my sister, that's terrible. Murder is something you have to have the fortitude to do. It isn't something that goes lightly, it's something that you have to have predator qualities about you. You have to be able to do it and then not be afraid you're going to get caught. He testified on behalf of the defense. He stated that Linda had nothing to do with Groly's killing. I entered the apartment. It's in disarray, which is okay because that's what I'm there for. I'm there to clean it up, remove the forensic evidence. Problem, there is blood on the carpet. Now we have injury inside the apartment. I have to make sure that that DNA sequence can't match to go to Hossingon. The idea is to leave enough female DNA that it's not enough to identify somebody else. Right. I must leave female DNA. I make a mistake, of course, because I pulled the vial of female DNA out of the refrigerator. The only DNA sequence that's in the, in the refrigerator that's female it happens to be Mrs. Hennings. I have a job to do. I have this DNA that needs to be destroyed. I have to cover this up. The facts that I use her DNA, well, oh well. I don't know from the defense's point of view whether they should have called him or not. I don't know that they knew what he was going to say. And even if he told them something, it couldn't be relied on. I would take care of the forensic evidence. Since I was most qualified, it was clearly that I must do that. The second part required just raw brute skill who means i mean it is a sticky business i don't want need to worry about something like that this was handled by bill miller dyson basically testified that have. no linda had nothing to do with this this was all bill miller did you put linda henning's blood in girly hassenkoff's house yes did you put other trace evidence whether accidentally or intentionally into that house yes did linda henning have anything to do with the murder of Gurley Hassenkopf. No. The state and the defense have both been given an equal amount of time to make closing statements, so you can start with your, your closing argument. The defense's story should not be believed. Dizon Hassenkopf is a self-admitted con man, a self-admitted liar, and that's what they're relying on, a man who has no credibility, a man who should not be believed. Dyson Hossenkopf knows that the only way you'll acquit his girlfriend is if he can convince you that he's just crazy enough to do what he said he did. I want to spend the last moments I have with you, ladies and gentlemen, talking about the carpet. That blood drop right there is Linda Hennings. That blood drop right there, that's Gurley Hossenkopf's. Linda Henning, Linda Henning, Linda Henning, Gurley Hossenkopf. The best evidence against Henning for sure is the blood evidence of her blood being in the house. What you're looking at here, ladies and gentlemen, is a battleground. Linda Henning believed that she was a queen. 
She believed that she had to do battle. Linda Henning did not know that Gurley Halsenkoft was ready to do battle too. Standing on this carpet, Gurley Halsenkoft struck Linda Henning. And when she did, Gurley Halsenkoft drew blood. Gurley Halsenkoft didn't win that fight, ladies and gentlemen. But in that fight, she exposed a murderer. And that murderer sits there in that chair, in that pink dress right now. And at this time, ladies and gentlemen, the defendant through her attorney has an opportunity to make a closing statement. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you, Your Honor. May please the defense you. called Diaz into the stand, and he's the one that said, no, he just planted the blood. But they didn't ever really push that in their closing arguments. They were in a bad place because they didn't want to adopt everything he said or act like they were still close to him. The state's best evidence, frankly, is Linda's blood in Gurley Hassenkopf's house. The trace evidence, the cat hair, the art sand, and the glitter. They say we don't want you to believe Diles and Hassenkopf, but that son of a gun had it within him to do exactly what he's done, set her up. This is nothing but a game to him. Doesn't care about her. The evidence isn't there to begin with, even with or without Diles and Hassenkopf. And the state comes in here and asks you to infer a bunch of stuff. I just want you to follow the law and base this case on the facts. You do that, she's acquitted. You can bring the jury in. The day that we came into the courtroom with the verdict was much more emotional for me than I expected it to be. Mr. Brown, is it true that you reached a verdict? Will the jury believe Dyson Hassenkopf, the sadistic con artist who testified that Linda Henning had nothing to do with his wife's brutal murder? Or will Linda Henning be convicted of the cold-blooded killing? Just like those UFO sightings all around town over the years, what is true and what is not is anyone's guess. Please rise. The court is in session. I felt that there was a very good chance that she would be acquitted. But New Mexico law also is you know, guilt by association. I mean, the mutt was living with her. Thank you. Bring the jury in. I'm innocent. I've always said that since day one. When the case finally wrapped up and the jury had the case to deliberate, I remember thinking, if you took Linda Henning before she met Dyson and Linda Henning sitting in front of me in the courtroom, how did that change? How did she change so dramatically? But to me, I thought prosecutors definitely proved that she had something to do with the planning and orchestrating of Gurley's disappearance and death. Did Linda Henning have anything to do with the murder of Gurley Hassenkopf? No. Juries are not stupid. They didn't believe him. He had absolutely no credibility. I doubt that he was truthful. He never seemed to let the truth bother him much. Most psychopaths, you know, don't really care about the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, you can be seated. The day that we came into the courtroom with the verdict was much more emotional for me than I expected it to be. It had a physiological effect, shaking, kind of a buzzing in my ears. It was very difficult. Mr. Brown, is it true that you've reached a verdict? Yes, Your Honor.
find the defendant, Linda Henning, guilty of first-degree murder, felony murder, as charged in the alternative to count one. The jury came back with mostly guilty verdicts. But in the end, it appears that they believed that she did have a role in the planning, the orchestrating, and the execution of whatever happened to Gurley. In the state of New Mexico, we have this old theory that if you ride with thieves, you get to hang with thieves, no matter if you did anything wrong. That's sort of the World West adage which we've had in the state forever. It needs to change. My lawyers were devastated, but I was really disappointed. But it was not shocking. The evidence was pretty overwhelming. She continued to have a relationship with the Ozen, which, if he's this terrible murderer, why would she do that? Kozenkoff was the mastermind behind all of this. And, you know, she fell prey to his manipulations. He didn't do this by himself. I think those kind of connections in conjunction with a strong circumstantial evidence was all they needed. I don't really care. The whole thing has been a fiasco and a farce from the start to the finish. I didn't expect a fair trial. When it came to sentencing, I told the prosecutors, you know, just tell her to give some information as to where the body might be with the family of the victim. Under their religion, Gurley was in trouble unless they found the body and were able to lay her at rest. I said, you know, just give her the minimum I can give her. She doesn't have to go public with that information. Just give it to the police so they can find the remains. She wouldn't do it. All I would have to do is tell him where the body is. If I knew where the body was, I could walk. I'm not interested in deals. I'm just interested in justice. In my mind, she was still under Diazin's control. I love him, and I probably always will. There's a part of him that is wonderful. It's not this monster that, that everyone sees. I don't think that life in prison satisfied justice to me. I am a firm believer in the death penalty. As long as it's applied judiciously, she decided to take her chances in a trial, and it went very wrong for her. This case is all about DNA. It's about forensics. That's what it's about. You also need to find out what Paul Spears' theory on this case is. After two, almost two years, two and a half million dollars, we're extraterrestrial Alien. Justice was served in the sense that Diazan's in prison for the rest of his life. I sometimes regret imposing as long of a sentence as I did for Linda. I thought she would eventually come around, and that never happened, and I was surprised. I would love to find Gurley Hassenkaus' remains and, and get her back to her family, but at this point, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. What stays with me mostly is the bizarre horror of it all and what it did to this young, innocent woman who just made the terrible mistake of falling in love with someone that wasn't even real. One of these days, I hope one of those three finally get a conscience and say, okay, we'll tell you the story, but I'm not holding my breath. Gurley Chu's body has never been found. Her family, according to their tradition, believes this means she will wander lost for all time, leaving her spirit and her family tortured for eternity. 
It is small comfort to them that Dyson Hassenkoft, the man closest to her, and Linda Henning will spend the rest of their lives behind bars. I'm Tamron Hall. Thank you for watching Someone They Knew. There you have it, another deep dive into a truly fascinating case. If you want to see more of our original series, they are available to stream for free on the Court TV website. Just check the show notes for a link. And to keep up with the biggest current true crime stories, you can see me every weeknight at 8 p.m. Eastern on my show, Closing Arguments with Vinnie Politan. Thank you so much for downloading. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.